The podcast for the inquisitive diver. Hey there, dive buddies, and welcome to the show. Now, it's pretty clear that over the last couple of years, the dive industry has been hit hard with dive operations going out of business and professionals having to find alternative sources of income, many of whom are forced to leave the industry and even go back to living with mum and dad. Some, however, have managed to keep that link into our watery world. And one such chap is a good buddy of mine and multi-agency instructor, Steve Crosby. Steve, welcome to the show, buddy. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. Happy days. I think that's the first intro that I've done straight out the bat and not cocked it up. I'm super proud of you. You've definitely gotten better at this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, let's, um, let, let's have a little delve into you, mate, and just uh, let the listeners know who you are and where you are at the moment. Yeah, so um, so I'm Steve Crosby. I'm um, like uh, like you said, a multi agency instructor. Uh, I teach through SSI, TDI, and RAID. Um, soon to join one other agency, but for now that's it. Um, I've been diving for about 16 years, and I've been teaching and diving since uh, 2014. So um, as soon as I started getting into teaching diving, I quickly realized just how much a passion I had. I've been diving for a long time, but as soon as I started to teach, I realized just how awesome it was and how rewarding it would be. So started doing more and more and more and more, started getting more agencies under my belt, started teaching different types of courses, and just been stuck ever since, really. I mean, stuck in a happy way. Uh, <laughs> been moving around from country to country bouncing along, met you obviously in Thailand, yeah. and then uh, currently in Tulum, Mexico, and I have, uh, am, am slowly beginning the road to be- becoming a full cave instructor at the moment. Happy days. Hey, I tell you what, I, I only noticed it last night when I was mooching around on Facebook or something when I was bored. Um, Miko's over there at the minute, isn't he? Have you seen it? Yeah, no, I just ran into him the uh, the other day. Yeah, just ran into him uh, on a dive site, actually. He and the other guys were uh, hopping in the water to do their uh, their KISS Sidewinder instructor courses. Yeah. So uh, so I actually just finished my Mod 1 uh, in uh, in January, so uh, so going down that road as well. Happy days. Yeah, I saw him with his – he got a little bit of video footage with that uh, little crocodile that's in one of the cenotes uh, there. Oh, no, it's so good. It's, uh, it's actually funny you mentioned that. Uh, another friend who's currently here was actually on a cave dive like 10 minutes into the cave and found a crocodile still alive moving around inside the cave, which was kind of a first. I'll send you the video. It's, it's crazy. Like we always joke about the crocodiles not being in the cave, but my friend actually got a video of him swimming around, and now they're like going through the cave worried about crocodiles on top of everything else. <laughs> Oh dear, yeah. I did have a look. At, I mean, we were out there. Was it 2018? And um, did have a mooch around trying to find it, but alas, we were unfortunate, and uh, he must have been off somewhere. Um, oh, you, well, you got a couple of options now. There, there's a few that have moved into some cenotes. You come down, I'll show you. Oh Jesus. Okay. Cool. And uh, who are you? Um, are you? What's the name of the company that you're diving through over there? So currently diving through a company called Protech. Um, it's there's two shops. There's Protech Tulum and Protech Playa del Carmen. Um, I've always been in Tulum, so I'm here now. Um, and this is Protech Tulum is where I started my cave diving. So my first trip to Mexico, uh, me and another friend of mine, Robbie Peltieri, we started organizing a trip, and we had about eleven of our friends, plus us, come down and all want to do our cave course together. And whenever we asked all of our tech diving friends, if you were going to dive in Mexico, do a cave for the first time, who do you talk to? 
every single one of them said, go talk to ProTech. Yeah. So we talked to ProTech and then I've been stuck with them ever since, really. <laughs> now we just, let's take it back a little bit because I mean, the, I, I've sure. really enjoyed watching your um, adventure, shall we say, um, from, you know, yeah. bouncing from Thailand to Egypt and back into the US and then the road trip down to Mexico. And I find it very entertaining. Um, however, Absolutely. we need to just back it up to, I mean, we initially met in, I think it might have been 2014, 13, 14, 2014, like yeah. It was right at the beginning. Yeah. At, um, at TDEX. Yeah. yeah. And that was, that was, that was very early into me being in Thailand. Like I'd been in Thailand for less than a month. Oh, really? I didn't realize it. Was yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was my, that was my very first thing. So uh, I had just gotten into a dive shop called uh, called uh, Planet Scuba, which now no longer sadly exists. Uh, <laughs> but I was just starting to work for them, and uh, being a brand new dive master at the time, or on the road, I was still a DMT at the time, I think. Yeah. Um, still in training, I needed equipment, and TDEX is always a good spot to hunt for sales. So I convinced the shop to let me go work at TDEX. And me not knowing much, tried to sell what I could, and then picked up some cheap dive gear on the side, and that was that's how I got my start, really. Well, you did all right, mate, because you sold me a wetsuit. I remember that. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> only so many sizes will fit your body, so it was a pretty easy <laughs> sell. <laughs> so after, the, I mean, I left. I think I left Thailand. In fact, when when did you leave Thailand? And what year was it? So I left, well, I left Thailand twice because I was in, I was there for, oh man, what was it? So I was there for 14, 15 and 16. Yeah. And then for 17, I was away in Bali and then I came back and then I uh, worked for 18 or like most of 18. Yeah. And then I went to Egypt after that. Gotcha. So I kind of left twice. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So I left in the same year. Yeah, when, did, when did you leave the first time? Um, it was the back end of 2006. In fact, no, January 2017 was when I went to Papua New Guinea. And then I came yeah, back at the been, end. that would have been very close to the time that I left. Yeah. And I came back at the end of 2017, but I went to the West Coast instead of back onto the islands. So I went on to um, um, Big Blue on the liverboard. Hallelujah. Yeah. So at, uh, at that time in my diving career, I was wanting to go more down like the technical route. Yeah. And there is technical diving on Koh Tao, but it's like it is somewhat hard to organize sometimes. It's not something you do every day. Yeah. It's not where people go to do tech diving and that kind of stuff. So uh, at that point in my life, I had kind of reached my depth limit almost on Koh Tao. Mm. So that's whenever I moved myself to um, over to Malaysia and did my uh let's see i did my raid deco 50 instructor and i did my tdi andp instructor course uh and then after that got a job in bali that fell on my lap and it was a fantastic opportunity so i did that for a year okay was it on on bali itself or one of the local islands no no, that was on that was on bali proper in uh in ahmed at a place called um bali dive trek okay working for mark crane who's um who's been doing incredible amounts of tech diving for an outrageous amount of years <laughs> good on you and you were there for a year you say so yeah so i was there for about a year i have i i apparently have had some bad luck uh whenever it comes to the reasons i leave places so i was there 
uh, right up until Mount Agung erupted. So I was on Bali whenever the volcano became active. And man, does that do a good job of killing tourists. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so like flights were canceled and nobody was coming in. And I was still like the new guy and like bottom of the totem pole. I'd been there for like, you know, almost a year or so, mm. but still the lowest guy on the totem pole. So I was like, all right, cool. Uh, I think I can probably get a job somewhere else if I really need to. You guys stay here. This is more your home than mine kind of thing. So I uh, so I left. And then uh, that's whenever I picked up the management job at Rocktopus Dive. Um, so I – not Rocktopus Dive, but at Rocktopus Pro. So Rocktopus is split in two. Mm-hmm. You got the recreational half and the pro half. Mm-hmm. And that's whenever I went up there and started managing the pro uh, center because Pete – uh, Galea finally decided to retire from that position. Yeah, yeah. We need a better octopus on there. That'd be great. Oh no, oh for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one thing. Like the octopus crew has like spread out a, a pretty good bit. I mean, you've got Vasalo over in Malta now. You've got uh, Nico in um, in Indonesia doing the octopus down there and mm. on Lombok on Lombogan. Sorry. So yeah, so they've spread out a pretty good bit. Yeah, yeah. I say Westy's kind of. Spent most of COVID in Indonesia, only surfing by the looks of it. <laughs> I believe so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I haven't caught up with Westy in a while, but yeah, that's 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 what he's putting on Facebook at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was just saying. So that was me on Kotao after uh, after the Rocktopus bit. I got um I got a job offer to be on a liveaboard in Egypt, and I mean, you talk about like Egypt for tech diving. That was that was kind of my next step. Um, so I decided to go over to Egypt. And worked there for a year, and then yeah. COVID hit. So I was on Bali, and then there was a volcano, and then I was in <laughs> Egypt, and then COVID. So every time I try and leave Kotal, something bad happens. But here we are in Mexico. Hopefully, yeah. nothing bad happens. Yeah, stay away from that crocodile. Mm-hmm. I'd, uh, in fact, um, another mate of mine. I don't know if you met him, um, Richard Deveni, um, another tech diver. Deveni, don't think I have. No, he's um, he was working up in. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of the dive center now it's not far from the volcano at all it, not far from liberty wreck actually about 10 minutes drive from liberty wreck and he was telling me when it erupted he had uh like whatever time of night it was just a bang 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 on the door mm-hmm. and he's opened his front door and seen some of the staff just sprinting off into the distance and then he's kind of realized that the volcano is going off and there's a bit of like 30 seconds of, of shaky video that he's taken, a, taken on his phone as he's using his scooter to mm-hmm. hoon it up the road and try and get away. So it's uh, scary stuff. No, it was, it, was, it, was cra- it was crazy times. Every time the volcano would pop off a little bit, everybody was like, just like in the group message, like, is everyone okay? <laughs> Everyone's good. <laughs> and then like, there was this awkward, there was this awkward period of time where like, we still had guests there. They hadn't left yet. And they still wanted to go for dives. And we're like, we're in Ahmed, which is not in the flow of the lava if the lava if the lava came. Yeah. So we were like, I guess we can still dive. <laughs> so we were still going on dives and like hearing explosions and like on the dive, whenever actual earthquakes were happening, like seeing the reef move and stuff. Yeah. It was crazy. Like that's like noise gets louder underwater and it's a different experience whenever you feel an earthquake inside your head. Yeah. Yeah. And did you actually, I mean, I've never spoken to anyone else who's experienced that as well. Cause I, I experienced it in, um, Ambon, uh, with a few mates and okay. just getting that rumble and movement under the water. Um, I actually thought it was just a, mm-hmm. a super tanker coming over the top of your head or something. Um, no, and that's and that's the thing. Like the the first time it happened, so whenever you're diving in Bali, like there's no 
there's no like massive piers around us in Amman. There's no like place for a big boat to come dock. Hmm. And there's all the boats that come in and like dive because all of Bali is that like sheer cliff. So sometimes little boats will like come in, drop people off and then go out. Hmm. But you're sitting there and you're just like, I'm way too close to shore for a boat this big to be. What is it? And then you just see the reef shaking like you're in trim, but the ground is moving. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird, weird scenario, isn't it? And, and to be honest, when we had it in, in Ambon, uh, we got back on the dive boat and had no clue that it was an earthquake um, until the boys that were on the boat said, you know, they'd already had text messages saying that a couple of houses had fallen down in the local village. Oh, jeez. Yeah. It's crazy. No, I remember, like, it was it was such a fun time, like, uh, just getting the getting the tourists out of there and then all of us sitting there and, like, no one was, like, we didn't have a compressor, so we were renting uh, tanks from a different company and, like, they weren't running tanks anymore, like, they were shut down. All the businesses were shut down. So, like, all the people are just, like, sitting there, like, what do we do? <laughs> we can't go diving because no one gives us gas. We're, like, rationing how many tanks we have to try and, like, get through some weeks of diving. Awesome. It was a bizarre experience. So, you kind of – did you hop foot it out of there and then just stay away? Pretty much, yeah. I, um, I mean, I stuck around – I feel like I stuck around for, like, maybe, maybe like, two weeks, maybe three weeks, something like that. Yeah. So, um. We pretty much had a had a sit down with uh, with Mark Crane, me and uh, Alexi and um, and everybody. We sat down and we were just like, okay, how long can we still be on salary if we have no money coming in? And we just had to have like hard talks, like, all right, so how long is it going to last? And it was like, well, right now uh, everyone's good for this month and next, and then after that, it's like, Ugh. I was like, well. After, uh, any bookings, any things. And, you know, it's just, it's one of those situations kind of like COVID where you have no real idea of how bad it's going to be until you're on the other side of it. Yeah, yeah. So we're sitting there and we're just like, not sure exactly how long it's going to last. And I said, well, look, I'm pretty sure I could get a job back on Kotao if I asked for it. And literally I sent Pete a message like that day. And that was the day he was like contemplating very hard talking to, Dave and Jay and everybody and being like, Hey, I think I'm going to step down. It was like the same day. Wow. The same day that I finally reached out to Pete was the day that he was like, all right, screw it. I'm going to tell them today that we need to have a talk tomorrow. Yeah. And that was the day. So Pete stuck around for another you know week or so, or however long it took me to get over there. Yeah. And the transition that way worked out really well. Um, and I felt very, very fortunate being able to step into that kind of a role um, in the situation I was in. Cause a lot of people don't have uh you know, if you don't have that big of a diving network or if you don't have um, that many uh, opportunities, it's kind of hard sometimes. So that's one reason why I felt okay to leave because I, I, I had a hunch that I'd be able to get a job somewhere if I really, really needed it. Yeah, yeah. So the position you went back into was running the pro side of things? Exactly. Yeah. So um, so I stepped into the, the role of um, just managing the, di- the, the pro center. Mm-hmm. So for those of you who don't know, the pro center at Rocktopus, um, so Rocktopus Dive is split in two. There's the recreational side, which just does the open water, the advanced, the fun dives, the, the one-day DSD, the trial experience. And then there's the whole pro side. The pro side does pretty much all of the like specialities, the deeps, the deep courses, the nitrox courses, um, the very little tech that happens is run out of the pro center, as well as the big thing that absorbed most of my time, which was running the dive master courses. Yeah. So at the time, Rocktopus Dive, whenever I got there, Rocktopus had about, I want to say like 15 or so dive masters in training, mm-hmm. which like 
is a pretty big number. Mm-hmm. And then in my year plus ish of managing it, not, not hugely thanks to me, but just happenstance, that number creeped up to around, I want to say we get like right at 30. Yeah. Right at 30, like 28 or 30 GMTs at one time, um, which is crazy. But also, you know, it's a minimum three month course. So a lot of people, it's, you know, it's not totally unheard of. Yeah. Um, and those were, God, those were some fun times. Those, uh, <laughs> stressful, <laughs> long yeah. days, but those were some really fun times. Yeah. Just, uh, just passing on knowledge to that many, like, super eager divers all at the same time mm. is, I mean, that's what it's all about for me, you know? Mm. And I think we're going to probably go through that kind of transition period now that we're two years past COVID. Mm. And like I mentioned in the intro, you know, so many people have had to leave the business and move on in life and there's right. going to be a lot of people that don't come back to it because you know they're now earning reasonable income and new lifestyle etc cetera, etc cetera. um i think we're going to see a whole new um raft of of young kids coming through wanting to fill those positions be, become dive pros oh I, hope, well, I mean i hope so that would be really good mm. um i mean have i told you i don't think i've told you my like covid story about how I had to leave diving and then come back. Do you know that whole spiel yet? No, no. I've, I saw little snippets that you put up on Facebook every now and then, but I, I because I know you, I could kind of feel that there was a good story there. So I was rather hoping that you were going to bring this up without me having to ask. Go for it. <laughs> oh, oh, look at that. Well, here we go. Okay. So I was, uh, I was working in Egypt for a company called Red Sea Explorers. This is where I went after I was at Rocktopus. Um, great company that was really focused on actual like proper tech diving. So there are a lot of liveaboards in the Red Sea, but there are uh, not too many of them that focus on um, like proper technical diving. Some guys will be cowboys because it's Egypt and they'll do silly things. But these guys that I was working with were the were properly focused on good training and good technique and following all the rules and all that kind of stuff. And I uh, just really fell in love with them. Um, GUE loved working on their boats. They have some good connections with some different GUE shops. Mm-hmm. So I was there for about a year. Um, didn't actually do any training myself there, but I did. Well, correction, I didn't do any training for myself, but I did do some teaching there. Yeah. Um, I was there for about a year and how it works in Egypt and in a lot of countries, you have to be out of the country while they handle like your work permit or the next stage of your uh, residency. So COVID was like just starting to be a thing. It was just starting to make the news. You know, this is like February, late January of, um, of 2020. So I had to leave Egypt for 10 days. Mm-hmm. while they handled my work permit stuff. So I left Egypt. I went and visited a friend of mine, Danielle High, went and visited a friend of mine in um, Germany mm-hmm. for like 10 days. I had a backpack on and that was that was it. Just not a not like a small backpack, like an everyday rucksack, not a like backpacker's backpack. Yeah. Cause, you know, I was gonna go back. So I was in Germany for 10 days. On day two, Egypt announced that they were going to shut their borders because of COVID. And I was like, okay, cool. I can't go back and get my stuff. Like all my dive gear, all my everything is sitting back in my apartment and I can't get to it. So I was like, all right, that's fine. I'll just hang out here in Germany for like 10 days and I'll let this whole COVID thing blow over. And then I'll just go back to Egypt and it'll be fine. 
Because at the time, no one knew how bad it was going to be or what was going to happen. It was like, oh, this will blow over in like 10 days. I'll go back. So like two days later, Germany announced that they were going to close their borders in like 48 hours. Yeah. And I was like, cool. Can't go back to Egypt. Don't feel like it's wise to stay here. And I don't really have the money to be stuck in Germany. Germany's an expensive place. Don't really have the money to like just sit here for an unknown amount of time. So I was like, I guess I'll go to my parents' house. <laughs> so I hopped on a flight, went back to Mississippi. Uh, and then my parents shoved me in like the room off to the side of the house. So I would <laughs> quarantine there away from them for like two weeks. And I said, cool, I'll hang out here in Mississippi for like a month. I'll let this whole COVID thing blow over. It'll all be fine. Yeah. So a month passes and I'm an unemployed 30 year old living in my parents' house. <laughs> the only job I've had for the past six years is in diving and all of my dive gear is in Egypt. Yeah. Have you ever tried to mail something from Egypt? It doesn't work. So it's all just, it's all just stuck in Egypt and unpacked. And I'm here. I was like, well, what am I going to do? So I figured the, Kind of, I was thinking about jobs to get, and I was like, well, maybe there's a job like in COVID I could, I don't know, what can I do? There's got to be some opportunity somewhere for me to do until I get my dive gear back, until I get back on my feet diving. Yeah. So for me, the next year of my life was all about what can I do to get back to diving? Like there was never a doubt in my head. I just didn't know exactly when. Yeah. So first thing I did was I went to Texas. Well, first thing I did was bought a $1,000 Mazda three <laughs> drove to Texas. Uh, and I did my EMT course. So, oh, yeah. uh, I did my EMT course because like, I've always had a bit of a medical background. I've been like a lifeguard for a long time, lifeguard instructor teaching first aid courses with, um, obviously with diving and all of that kind of stuff. I've always been that kind of guy, first responder in certain situations, all that kind of stuff. It's, pseudo familiar to me. So I said, all right, this will probably segue nicely into diving. It's probably nice to have an EMT around because whenever you go to remote locations, I'll like, yeah, okay, I'll do my EMT. Hmm. I did my EMT. I'm in Texas. I, at this point, have no idea what's going to happen with my dive gear. I have no idea where I'm going to get a job. I pass my EMT course, easy breezy. And I go to Indeed.com, which is a website that, like, North Americans use to find a job. And I just typed in, like, COVID EMT into the search bar. Yeah. Hit click. And then I filtered by highest paying. <laughs> and then I just applied. And the first, the first one I saw was the one that I got. And it was a COVID compliance officer. So it's I, – I, I was like, I don't know what that is, but sure, whatever. I'll do it. Yeah. So I applied. I talked to the guys. Got Everything's good. They said, that's great. You're in Texas right now. We need you. And this is like on Thursday. Yeah. They're like, cool. You're in Texas right now. It's Thursday. We need you in Massachusetts by Monday. How far is that? And I was like, I guess I'm drunk. Uh, that's like half the distance of the country. That's, <laughs> that's like, that's a ways. That's like three and a half thousand kilometers. <laughs> Jesus. So... So I was like, I guess I'm driving right now. So I literally got off the interview, packed up my stuff and left, um, drove to Massachusetts. And for the next year of my life, my life was the most weird, like, just can't believe this is what I did to make ends meet life. So <laughs> my primary job was 
But the first thing I did was I worked on a movie called uh, – the movie just got published. It's called The Unholy uh, featuring um, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Is it, you were a safety um, officer it's or something on this. great. Go watch the movie. <laughs> What's that? You were a safety officer or something like that. I think I saw the credits. Yeah, exactly. No, no, yeah. I posted the credits on – I posted a snapshot of the credits. So that was what I did. I was literally going around, like, helping make sure that um, – because this was in, like, the dark times of COVID. Like, everyone in the movie industry wants to get back to work, but they want to do it safely. So, like, I'm, like, helping make sure people are wearing masks, make sure the right people are tested often enough, make sure people are spacing, make sure people are in their little groups. And I'm just, like, organizing stuff all at the last minute. And a lot of people are telling me, like, wow, you're, like, really good at this. And I realize that years of scuba diving – which is like always getting organized at the last second, but having to be like really organized really fast has actually trained me really well to work in the movie industry because it's the same. Everything gets organized at the last minute, but it has to be perfect and it has to be safe. So I did that job for a couple months and you, at the end of that job, I was like, all right, I was like making good money. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do after this. And after that movie, me and like five other guys who had done that job, we were the first people in the U.S. to do it because that was the first movie to be shot after COVID or during COVID. So me and like four other guys were all of a sudden, quote unquote, the most experienced people in that role in the industry. (laughs) So so we rolled from movie to movie to movie to TV show to commercial to movie and like. It was so crazy. One job would end and the next would pick up and then I moved up in the ranks. And before you know it, I'm the health and safety supervisor for some like pretty medium budget films. Nothing like huge. Yeah. I was never working on any Marvel films. I did work on Don't Look Up, which was a pretty big, pretty big film that just came out on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, but the entire time, every single paycheck, I literally have a spreadsheet all worked out. This much goes to rent. This much goes to whatever. And this, and then like 60% of my paycheck went into the Mexico fund. Yeah. Um, and like, that's all I did for a year. And then I wanted more work. So I picked up more and more jobs. I was working security on the weekends. I was door dashing when I had time in between on Sundays, I was teaching swim lessons. I was doing <laughs> anything I could. Um, I just talked with my tax man. It was amazing how many different jobs I had during the last year and a half. Um, so I, did all, did whatever I could, and then uh, saved up money to Mexico. I decided on Mexico for a couple of different reasons, mm. primarily because I could drive here, and I knew I could drive back if I had to. Um, I knew the airports wouldn't get shut down again because of COVID. I'll drive, thank you very much. Yep. Um, and I knew, the for me, the most important thing, like security-wise of diving, in Egypt, if the tourists don't come, the boats don't go out. Yeah. Right in Thailand, it's the same. If the tourists don't come, the boats don't go. You don't fill enough boats, you you know the boats don't go out. Yeah. But in Mexico, it's all cavern and cave diving. If I have a car, I can drive to the cenote, and then I can go for a dive. So knowing that I can be completely independent and just continue diving was like my only thing, like keeping me going. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a good call. Yeah. Yeah, and what a what a hell of a journey. Mm. And as for the it's a weird one, my scuba gear took an even weirder journey. Yeah, how did you get that back? Okay, so that was uh, a super outrageous chain of events. So, pretty much what happened was I was messaging and video chatting my roommate back in Egypt. Shout out to Larice, absolutely amazing woman, absolutely amazing instructor. So 
she was nice enough to FaceTime me and we would go through and like, all right, you can sell that. You can keep that. And I need that back. Yeah. So we just like went through everything I owned. A lot of stuff is still in Egypt. A lot of stuff got thrown out. A lot of stuff got sold, but all of my like most important stuff got put into two boxes and you can't mail things out of Egypt. So she had to contact a, um, she had to contact one of our old people we used to work with who had the contact of a person who worked at the German embassy in Egypt. That person got it to back to Germany on like, you know, cause diplomatic flights didn't stop. Yeah. So they got it back to Germany person. Germany got it to a person who worked at the American consulate in Germany. <laughs> so that person gave it to another person randomly who were like both divers. So they like loosely knew each other. Yeah. That person got it to the States person in the States got it to DC person in DC shipped it to my parents' house. Wow. So Every like and like no tracking numbers, like no idea where my stuff is. So just like every like couple of weeks, I would randomly get like, you know, how sometimes you're like introduced to someone on Facebook and you just get thrown into a three person group. Yep. It was that. Yeah. It was me, person A and Larice in a group. And then it was me, person A and person B, then person B, person C and me. <laughs> Until finally it was like, all right, this guy's going to have your kid next. And he's going to ship to your house. And then I owe a lot of people beers and many thanks to all those guys who eventually got my beer, my gear, (laughs) who eventually got my gear back to my house. And then as soon as I had it, the house got shipped up to Massachusetts where I was living at the time. Got it all collected, serviced everything what I could and then got here. Um, So ultimately, you've got the only set of dive equipment in the world that has, has been treated like a diplomat. No, literally. Like, well, I mean, because diplomats do that when they fly, but mine has been on some adventures that I haven't been on for sure. Like, <laughs> I've never had so many strangers willingly just handle my equipment. Usually I'm like, oh, no, don't touch my kit. Now I'm like, please take my kit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, at least it got uh, successfully back to you, but. Oh, yeah. No. So it got back to me and then um, and then just waited till December so I could save up the last bits of cash. Bought myself a rebreather and drove across the border. You brought a, you bought a rebreather. Which one? I did. Yeah, I uh, went for the Sidewinder because Sidewinder. Oh. So I just finished my mod one. Just finished my mod one, which is the you know the learn how to dive the unit, but no deeper than forty meters in open water. Hmm. In Mexico, there's not a lot of open water, so currently uh, I'm racking up hours, and then uh, hopefully soon, within the next month or so, maybe two, uh, do my cave rebreather course and then instead of being limited to two or three tanks in a cave i can just go to a whole system in a day if i wanted to you know yeah 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 i was kind of looking at um at that sidewinder when miko started playing around with it and i think that was it couldn't have been much much time after the start of the covid outbreak when he started doing the sidewinder bit. Mm-hmm. And I, I got my eyes on it because of... It's definitely um, picked up in popularity. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's... Um, you know, it, with me having Nomadic Scuba, uh, the Scuba Travel Company, mm-hmm. it, I put that on hold now for two years. Um, but at that time, it was getting to the point where I was traveling all the time doing expeditions. And it kind of started to play on my conscience that a, 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 a rebreather unit would be good for some of the expeditions however a large rebreather would be a pain in the ass when you're traveling hence the sidewinder kind of caught my eye no it's 
it's a great unit for exploration. It's what everybody uses here. Um, there's been a big shift recently in just more and more people picking up the Sidewinder because that's, you know, that's a limitation whether you're wanting to go exploring in small caves and stuff like that. Also, just carrying the dang thing is heavy. Yeah. For the guys who like go trekking through the jungle for like an hour or more or they go like crazy far into the jungle, you're not going to carry like a big, heavy canister. You want something small. And that's what it's for. It's a nice, small, very like streamlined unit. Mm. You can get ones with more and more bells and whistles. You can throw on as much stuff as you want. But I've got the most like just slimmed down unit, uh, less bells and whistles. And that's what most of the guys here say. They're like, you just want a basic, nothing frilly, nothing fancy, nice, dependable unit. So there yeah. you go. Yeah. Yeah. I might have to revisit that. Mm-hmm. Did you um did you get a bit of a cheeky discount on it? Or have you managed to did you have to fork out full price? Uh, for the unit, I forked out full price because yeah. um, I, I wanted to buy a unit brand new. Um, so I went ahead and did that. Um, so, yeah, so absolutely full price on that. I wish I got a cheeky discount. Yeah, uh, That would be handy, <laughs> but I did not get a cheeky discount. So what it, it, it's ultimately it's resulted in all your savings are gone and you're now back to DoorDash, are you, after buying it? Pretty much, no. <laughs> um, not quite too bad. So, uh, so me, me and the missus moved down here. And we said we were going to give ourselves like a five-month window mm. where we wouldn't need work. So like without actually working, we'd have enough money to dive as much as we wanted, eat as much as we wanted, drink as much as we could responsibly, and live a comfortable life for five months. Now, mm. neither one of us is the type of person that can just not work for five months. Yeah, I need to be working. I need to be diving with new folks and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's my jam. Um, so... Luckily, we budgeted correctly and budgeted pretty conservative. Well, actually, very conservatively. All of our numbers have been pretty much under. So we're able to live, you know, not too bad a life on the the what we're making now, which is, you know, not like nothing in like the Western world. But here in Mexico, like a little bit goes a long way, you know? Mm, yeah. Hey there, Dive Buddies. I hope you're enjoying the show. Now, just give me one minute. I want to give a huge shout out to a company called CY Marine. Now, for you boat owners out there, CY Marine is a business owned by an absolutely amazing woman who will be at the Sanctuary Cove International Boat Show this coming week. CY Marine deliver the best anti-roll stabilization systems money can buy. If you don't believe me, head along and just check out the videos. It's insanely good. These anti-roll gyros are so simple to install that your boat doesn't even need to be hauled out of the water for fitment. It doesn't need seawater for cooling and is literally a bolt-in and go procedure. Once fitted, the only thing you need to do is flick a switch to turn it on before your trip and then turn it off when you're done. It's as simple as that. So if you're looking to minimize the motion of the ocean on board your vessel, head along to booth 24-7 in the pavilion this week at the Sanctuary Cove International Boat Show and get chatting to the amazing Kerry Hipgrave. And you can get more information on the website cymarine.com.au. Me and the missus did um, South America, Galapagos, back up to Cozumel and a few stops along the route. And we we stayed in Tulum for, I think it was four or five days. Uh, with with uh, Lanny and Claire, um, and did nice, couple, yeah. Nice. And um, have you have you met Jessie Creef? Do you know her? No, Jessie. I don't think so. No, no. who's Jessie? Uh, a lovely lady. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, we did a couple of um, couple of the cenotes with her uh, guiding. Lovely girl. Yeah. But yeah, uh, as far as 
No, finance, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a small industry here, but there's a lot. Yeah. yeah. And it's, Sorry, finance is going. Yeah, I mean, the, the money goes a, a very long way. It was uh, surprisingly cheap. Mm. I think I would um, I'd probably destroy myself if I was there for a month or two not uh, not working. <laughs> no, that's the thing. I was like, we came down, we wanted to have the money because, you know, COVID like scared a lot of people financially and they, everyone wants to like have that safety net and know they're okay. So we gave ourselves like a nice big, or nice, not huge, but we gave ourselves a decently sized safety net. Yeah. Um, a lot of that's already gone because there's always unexpected expenses whenever it comes to work permits and things like that. Mm. But all in all, it's uh, it's been really good. So yeah. And how is it for um, like talking about work permits and stuff? I know it was a pain in the ass when we were out in Thailand. Um, what's the what's the go in Mexico? Do you is there a, a special um, kind of visa with you being American? Is there a, is an agreement between the two countries, or is it difficult? So yeah, so so not necessarily because I'm an American, but because I've been to Mexico before. So. Um, I'd been on diving trips. So like I first came here and got certified. Then I came back a year later and did my, uh, my cave stage course, my multi-stage course. Then I came back and did some fun dives. Um, and then I think this is like my fourth trip back. And effectively, I think because of COVID, Mexico has started issuing um, four-year temporary residence uh, like status to people who had been in mexico over like certain time ranges and for certain amounts of time okay so pretty much if you had been like before covid before covid if you've been in mexico for at least this many months or at least this many days they were like all right cool we're going to give you residence because we know that things are a pain right now and flying in and out and all this so the mexican government actually did a really nice thing and they made it easier for expats who had been here before covid Hmm. now as COVID was happening and becoming more of a thing, more people working from home, there's been a huge influx of like uh, like digital nomads working out of Tulum. And those people, those visas, they can't get. Because it's like, no, 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 you only came here ever since you could work online. Yeah. So they kind of were like, all right. So, so they created this kind of visa for those kind of people. Um, and also because some of these rules are COVID related, those rules are like constantly changing. Mm. Um, highly recommend if you're looking into it, like give us a shout. But then first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to send you over to like my immigration lawyer who's here because that guy is like on top of everything. you like, you properly need a lawyer. Yeah. Yes. If you're just wanting to do like a three month tourist thing or even a six month tourist thing, get your return flight. You'll get six months and then you have plenty of time to sort it out. But that process is ever changing because of COVID right now. Like so much has changed in the last just six months. Mm. Um, so it's, I, I don't want to speak too much to that process because it's changing all of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not horribly, it's not horribly difficult. It's just going to cost some money to make it work. Yeah. And it looks like because they're so backed up, because again, like the Mexican government kind of shut down for a little bit, just like the U S government did for a little bit. So, there's this kind of backlog process where like most people who are starting from scratch, they're having to wait around five months before they get a proper like one year residency sorted. Okay. So they're coming in on the, you, you got to do the tourist visa to be there. And do you have to get out of the country while they process it? Same again. Uh, so uh, again, that depends on which one you get. Hmm. Um, I did not have to leave the country because of the type that I received. Yeah. Uh, other people who 
have entered the country at similar times have had to leave and go to a consulate in Miami or go to a consulate in uh, Boston or something like that mm. and go get it handled there. Yeah. But for me, because I had been in Mexico before COVID, I was able to just kind of upgrade. So literally I went to the immigration office. I handed over my visa, which was like stamped on a separate piece of paper. They took it like stapled it to a piece of paper and gave me back my residency card. So like, <laughs> They just took the visa. <laughs> um, so, like, I never even had to leave. I was just like, I was like, with a change of hands, I was legal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've been rather fortunate in these little hops through life, haven't you, so far? Well, I've, I'm a firm believer in, like, two things. Number one, always listen to the locals. Yeah. All right? If someone in that country tells you to do something, you do it. They tell you to go to a restaurant, you do it. Do some research if you want. If you don't have any friends in the area, all right. But if you got a friend in the area, go and do what they say. That's number one. Number two, anytime I'm in a new situation, I always act like I have no idea what I'm doing because <laughs> I usually don't if it isn't scuba diving. So if I go up to the immigration lawyer and I'm like, hey, man, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me, please? He's like, oh, yeah, I know how to do this. And, like, people are just so much kinder. As long as you just like, I feel like people are kind of, if you just open up to them and you say like, I don't know how to do this. Will you please help me? Yeah. And people do it. But if you go in there like slinging an attitude or with your nose up or whatever, no, no, it never works. Yeah. Always go in and be like, I have no idea how to do this. Will you please help me? I'm a helpless random guy. <laughs> and people usually respond much better to that. <laughs> and how many people have uh, asked if you're actually Seth Rogen since you've been down there? legitimately once a week as soon as someone says it i start talking differently <laughs> but then like so now my voice is going to change because yeah. i'm thinking about seth rogan but <laughs> on average for the past 15 years it's happened once a week yeah yeah <laughs> and what's the what's the master plan then so you've got a you've got four years uh visa status so are you so i've got i've got yeah yeah go on so, so I've got four years legal at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, I'm currently, so now that I'm legal, I'm currently freelancing around. I've only been freelancing for ProTech. I'm not technically or currently a ProTech employee yet. I'm not a full-timer. Mm. So right now we're kind of in my like trial phase. So the turnover rate for instructors at ProTech is like almost zero. Yeah. So you'll see, you know, like uh, recreational shops with really high turnover rates but at ProTech, it's crazy. Like people just like they just stay there because it's a great shop. It's great people start training. And if you want to hang around, if you want to be a better diver, you hang around divers who are better than you. Yeah. And that's why I'm going to be a ProTech. So that's where I want to be for these four years. Right now, I'm in my like trial period, starting to do some work for them. They're seeing how I work because they've only known me as you know a customer, a friend, um, a guy on the street. Yeah. But they don't know me as a coworker yet. Yeah. So I'm going through that process right now. I'm just doing the freelancing thing for a couple of months, a little trial period. Hopefully within the next couple of months, I'll be offered a four-year contract. And then that will take me down the road of becoming a full cave instructor. Yeah. So you can become a full cave instructor faster with other um, dive shops. But at ProTech, they do things a little bit differently. And they just, from the fundamental courses, from the very beginning courses, everything is super like locked in it's super clean and they don't let you get away with any mistakes and it's yeah. just like really 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 good divers who've had a long, long track record of producing phenomenal divers 
Yeah. So those are the guys I want to like connect myself with. So hopefully I get uh, get the contract offer and then four years later, I'll be a cave instructor, hopefully. Yeah. And it, oh, wow, four years seems quite a long time to um, get your tick in the box when you compare it to everything else. But um, I mean, you raise a good point oh. there. I mean, you, if you're going to if you're going to do something like this and, you know, go into an overhead environment and seriously into an overhead environment, then there's only one way to do it. And that's the right way. You know, none of this, you know, and, and that's short like, it's gotta be clean. And like on, in any other diving, besides wreck diving in any other type of diving, you can just go up, you do tech diving, deep tech. Diving, okay. You're going to get bent. You might get bent real bad, but you like, you get lost on a dive site. Who cares? You go a little bit too. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> but in case, like you take the wrong turn, like there's no other exit. You know, you don't, you don't have the option of going up. So like, Every member of the team has to be like clicked in. It's it's quite serious stuff. Like we all joke, we all have fun. Like it's a lively, you know, it's it's not just everyone in the shop being like super strict all the time. Like we we have fun with it, but whenever it's time to dive, it's time to dive. And it's it's you know, it's the it's the most serious type of diving because you just don't have the option of going home. Yeah. And what's um what's the missus doing? Is she just gonna say like granted Yes, of course. If you go to 100 meters, then you go straight up. You're gonna have a bad day. I don't want that guy in the comments to be okay. But yes, <laughs> but across the board anyway. Oh, this is, I don't even bother looking at comments, mate. Um, I see it many times in the forums, especially uh, on Facebook. There's so many armchair experts at scuba diving. It's ridiculous. Um, exactly. The only ones I ever read are the ones of the names that I recognise as as people that I respect as a diver. You know, right. um, your man who, who right. com- your man who complains about not being able to dive with a dive shop because they say he's not qualified to go that deep, but he's done it for the last 25 years because he can, and he's a stubborn old git. Yeah, I know that happens sometimes. And you just, you smile and wave and like, and sometimes the diver isn't a good fit for a shop or sometimes the diver needs not necessarily like to be humble, but sometimes people just need to like, to, I mean, are you familiar with the Dunning-Kruger curve? I I swore I wouldn't bring this up today. (laughs) The Dunning-Kruger curve idea is like, the less experience you have, the more confident you are. And then as you get more conf or sorry, as you get more experience, your confidence takes a massive dip. So you see a lot of that in cave diving. And like, I was one of those guys, whenever I first started cave diving, I was like, Oh, I'm already an advanced rec instructor trainer. I'm already a side mountain instructor. Rada, rada, rada. I'll be fine. <laughs> and then I got here and I was like, I was humbled. Yeah. It's a humbling experience. And you don't know until you do it for the first time. So like, you don't know what you don't know until you know. Yeah, 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 for sure. I'm going to say I've had a few cave divers on now, or tech divers, and they talk about caving. Mm. I did that bit in, in Tullum, and we just we only snuck in. It's more, you know, I barely scraping the surface. But the idea of going through little yeah, yeah. holes and nooks and crannies really just doesn't appeal to me. So, you know, I'm 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 well, confident enough to say it's not for me. <laughs> Gotcha. Well, and that's the thing, like, number one, like, all types of diving aren't for everyone, Mm. right? Just because you, like, get nervous doing it doesn't mean you should do it. Yeah. All right? Like, cave diving isn't for everyone, and that's okay. All right? So, like, sometimes in recreational diving, you'll have people who are like, oh, like, I know you're nervous about doing it, but once you do it, you'll love it, rada, rada. And, like, sometimes you'll have some peer pressure and all that. But, like, that kind of stuff is just really, like, not welcome in the caves. Nice. Because, like, that's just not – that's not what we're after. It's okay for it not to be about you. And, and like, mm. if you realize that about yourself, that's fine. Yeah. 
give it a try. Go for a cavern tour if you want. All right. Mm-hmm. See some lights. See, okay, cool. You don't like the rocks over your head? That's okay. You don't have to do it. All right. Uh, but me personally, I still don't. I don't like small caves. I've been like I've been stuck in a wreck before, and ever since then, like I really don't like small things around me. I like big cave. I'm a big guy. I don't like tight, tight restrictions. I'll go through them if I know there's big cave on the other side. Yeah. But most of the time, I try and avoid the tight, tight stuff too. Yeah, yeah. But like you say, you're not a small frame. Um, I'm with you on that one. No, no. But I do make a bad habit of like. Hey guys, watch what small hole I can fit through and try to go through. <laughs> and then be I en- get stuck. Yeah, that'd be entertaining <laughs> in itself. <laughs> Always a good time. Yeah. So have you uh, have you started to formulate your own um, opinions on the the the, the, the individual cenotes and and have you, have you started to get a, a hierarchy of favorites and all that kind of thing yet? So it's weird. It's like um. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm going to take the cop out. It's not a cop out, but it's like it's the truth. It's like whenever people say, "What's your favorite type of diving?" It's like, well, it depends kind of on like where you're at and what you're doing. Like sometimes you want to do this, sometimes you want to do that, and also it depends on like who you're with. Because if you can, if you get a client and they really love seeing small little stalactites, like I know where I'm going to take you. If you get a client that wants to see like huge rays of sunlight come pouring through an open. Okay, well, boom, I know exactly where I'm going to take you and I know what time I'm going to take you. Mm. Um, but you like, so you start formulating like ideas of what's better for this or what's better for that. But every cenote and every cave is like so dramatically different. Everyone who doesn't go in the caves and goes in the cenotes like thinks they're the same. I had a girl ask me, a, a wife of a client who was here, she asked me, she's like, well, aren't all cenotes the same? I was like, are you kidding me? They're all like so fantastically different. Mm. You'll have like, you'll have like Nikteha that has literally like flowers and lily pads in the middle of the cenote. And then there's like, there's some water flow through the cavern dive, which is like always fun to be like diving in a current in a cave. And then you'll have like the pit, which is like the biggest, like multiple cathedral sized hole that has ever been discovered. Yeah. So like you get like such crazy, like, like different things. So to say that one is like a favorite versus the other, no, but I definitely have ones that are like more suited for better stuff. So like if it's your first dive, I know exactly where I'm going to take you every single time. I'm going to take you to a dive site called Dos Ojos. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, it's nice and flat. There's no big buoyancy changes. It's not like a beginner's dive. It's still a cavern dive, but it's not like a difficult dive. But yeah. a lot of the cavern dives aren't like difficult dive. But you got to be careful whenever you say that because sometimes if you say this dive site isn't difficult, the experienced people don't want to go on the easy dives. It's like, no, it's still a great dive. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Let's go for a dive. So like your first dive, we take it to sauce every single time. You see a bunch of light. You see a bunch of stalactites, a bunch of formations. You go over. You see the bat cave. You surface inside of an air dome full of bats. <laughs> like there's so much fun stuff to see. Um, so, yeah. So do I have favorites and not favorites? Like it changes all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned the pit there. I mean, we did that when we were over there. And I think I could have done easy. I could have spent a, a day there just hunkered down in the bottom corner trying to trying to get the perfect photo it's just amazing to see for photographers it's crazy yeah 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 no and the the pit the pit's a special and 
And I really just love the history behind so many of the cenotes. Mm. And the pit has like such an amazing history. The fact that it was discovered from the cave side. So a cave diver was doing an outrageously long dive from a neighboring cenote and then just randomly emerged into the biggest room that's ever been found. Uh, uh, do you know how long ago that was? You know, I don't. I genuinely don't. If I had to guess, I'd guess somewhere like in the 80s maybe, okay. but I genuinely don't know. I probably should be yeah. a local guy now. Cause I don't know. There's so many of them, though. They, they keep. They, forgive me if I'm getting it wrong. I don't think I am, but I think new cenotes are just found constantly, are they not? Constantly. Yeah. Constantly. Hmm. So the name cenote is just like, it's just a sinkhole. It's where the ground gave way and now there's water underneath. Yeah. So cenote does not mean that there's necessarily a great cavern area or that there's a great dive. Mm. A cenote is just the actual opening where, you know, effectively a sinkhole happened. Mm -hmm. In the really, really big ones, a lot of the time there's a nice cavern area where you're not properly in the cave. You can still see the light. You're never that far from an exit. You've, you know, you're not going deeper than 30 meters. You're in the cavern zone. And that's awesome. And that's exactly what it should be. And in Tulum, in the Tulum area, I don't know, maybe like 15, 20 cavern sites. Yeah. But then like cave sites, it's hundreds upon hundreds. Okay. It's an absolutely insane amount. Yeah. Um, a lot of them, a lot of them nice, a lot of them less nice, a lot of them great to take clients in, a lot of them not great to take clients in. So, yeah, there's just – there's hundreds whenever you look at like a zoomed out map of the yucatan peninsula mm. and you like just filter by like entrances it they're everywhere yeah. it's crazy how much there are did you, did you um or do you do you follow christina zanato at all have you christina zanato no you keep you keep hitting me with names of people i don't follow <laughs> this is the lady that uh, wears the chain mail and takes hooks out of sharks mouths in bahamas no I, okay so yeah i yeah. know i know who you're talking about yes yeah. Yeah, yeah well she and her partner um over covid um they're, they're avid cave um divers and instructors and all that kind of thing as well and over covid they took the opportunity to go and explore and they found so many new caves and, and tunnels and i think they are the only two people that are legitimately recognized by the government to be guides in those um, those regions because they're that new. Right. There's an insane amount of exploration. That's the one like nice thing. So like here in Tulum, over COVID, like some people came, the nomads, and some people couldn't work, so they came and dive. So Tulum, like diving, or at least like ProTech, didn't see a huge decline, hmm. but there was like some decline, and that gave way to the opportunity for some of the guys here to explore. And man, like I've been friends with them for, you know, since 2018. And just seeing their post every week, like, well, just laid another 600 meters of virgin cave. Just found this, <laughs> and this. Like, Scanda, one of the one of the, like the, the in-house explorers we have at Protech, every week he's like posting on Instagram these like empty spools that he has. It's like <laughs> there was a whole lot of line on it, and I just you know here's three empty spools from us exploring today and i'm just like dad gum it why am i not down there <laughs> so that's the one nice thing like covid did lead to a lot of exploration in the area happening which has been nice because now we have more and more places to to take clients and more and more just virgin cave which is always you know an amazing treat yeah yeah for sure and um sorry i was that 
I nearly missed, uh, nearly asked earlier. Um, the missus, is she in the dive industry as well? Yeah. So she is a open water instructor. Um, so she's, uh, she did her dive master at Rocktopus. So that's where we originally met. Uh, um, so she's now an instructor. So she's doing, um, she's freelancing at a shop here doing like open water courses, advanced courses, fun dives, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. She's not into, uh, like cavern diving yet. So to be a cavern guide in the area, you have to be a full cave diver yeah. and she's content at her current level. And it's not something you like force or push. It's like, all right, cool. Whenever you're ready, you do your side mount course, then you do your cave course. But right now she's still like a, you know, a relatively inexperienced instructor. Cause she got her instructor in like January of 2020. Gotcha. And then, like, no tours, yeah. <laughs> no diving, and then brand new instructor. So, so she doesn't have a whole lot of certs under her belt just yet. So she's content to to just be teaching that for a little while, mm. and then uh, and then hopefully move into that kind of role later on yeah. if she wants to. Yeah. And that's it. I did, it's it's a good thing to do. Get that experience now that you've got to that level. I mean, anything from DM DM and onwards. I think you need to get some experience at each level before you rush through and try and get to be billy big bollocks at the end of the day because um you'll only go and balls it up anyway oh no that's a that's a that's a really big concept um what's uh there's a book written about it by the same guy who i think works with a lot of like the the human factors of diving where it's just like enjoy the journey Mm. like just because you want to get to like point d like abcd you don't have to like sprint there yeah. Like go from A, then go to B, and like chill out of B for a while. Mm-hmm. Like teach the open water courses, teach the advanced courses, do that. Then go to speciality instructor, do that for a while. Don't like if you want to, and you got the money, and you and that's what you're sure. But like you're you kind of cheating yourself out on so much other stuff, like so much, so many different opportunities for growth and experience. So like, hundred percent enjoy the journey, and like do it one day at a time. Like I'm completely content to do my full cave instructor course in four years because mm. I have never taught a cavern course. I have never taught an overhead side mount course. And I've never, I've taught very, the only courses I've taught here in Tulum have been open water courses for my friends a couple of years ago. Yeah. So like I still have so much experience in this area to get. And that's where like, you need to start like checking yourself. It's like, all right, cool. I have a lot of experience over here, but I've never done this here before. Mm. Or I've, I've done a bunch of wrecks, but I've in the grand scheme of my diving, my cave diving is still like a very small, like minority of my diving. Yeah. So I need to like start building that experience like really, really slowly. And there are a lot of people who just like rush that. And it's a shame sometimes Mm. whenever you see people who like do their open water course. And then a year later are an are a speciality instructor and they're this, and they just bought a rebreather and this, and then you ask them like, how many fun dives have you done? And they're like, you know, yeah, less than a hundred. Yeah, it's like that's crazy. Yeah, you know, it is. And you've got to, you've got to or give what, room or for whatever the bare minimum is for that. Yeah, you've you've got to give room for that experience to become second nature, and you know, to have a good mm-hmm. foundation for everything else that you're going to extend yourself out to. And I think you're doing the a perfect example there, mate, of just being able to slowly progress through those recreational um, routes and have that as as a blueprint going forward into a much more complex role exactly and that's and that's the thing like it's whenever you first start diving the idea of doing like of the idea of i don't know 
going 40 meters inside, going deeper than 40 meters inside of a wreck by your, or like leading customers inside that situation. Like that's like so crazy and foreign to you. But then there are people who like, that's their goal. And they'll just like shoot to that goal. But it's like, now step one, like do a whole bunch of deep dives first. Mm. Step two, do a whole bunch of wreck dives next. Then go do some deco dives next. Then start leading and like, like build up all the things. As soon as you start combining specialities and putting yourself in these weird situations too early, you find yourself in like in strange situations. Yeah. Um, but like, I remember, I remember I did a fun dive in Egypt. This was, you know, two years ago. Um, it was a DPV dive mm-hmm. at night while wearing a twin set, <laughs> getting dropped off from a Zodiac. And we went past two different wrecks. No, three different wrecks. We were diving on um, Abu Nahas. We went past three different wrecks with the scooters the whole time. Me and the guys having a great dive, got up. It was cool. Like maybe we hit 30 meters, whatever. And then I got up onto the boat and I had just a minute to like self-reflect. I was like, golly, like doing like, that was just a fun dive. But yeah. doing like a DPV dive to a lot of people is a big deal. Yeah. Doing a night dive is a big deal. Doing a DPV dive at night is a big deal. Doing a DPV dive around wrecks at night with nitrox on a twin set. And like you start to buy up and like. If you just rush into that situation, it's going to be like overload. But if you do like just slowly, slowly building up the levels of confidence and then also like exp- like having the ocean punish you a couple of times because mm. you only really get good experience whenever something goes wrong or whenever something gets close to going wrong or whenever an instructor stops you and, hey, oh, that's going to go really wrong soon. Mm-hmm. So that's you just got to the school of hard knocks. That, that just takes time. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's no reason to rush it, you know? Yeah. Well, I think your missus is going to be in safe hands and uh, using a bit of wise experience from yourself there. And uh, be patient, take oh, your time, and enjoy the journey. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I'll tell you what we will do as well. If um, if you don't mind, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up with you later in the year, six, eight months' time, something like that, and just see how your progression has, has come along and where you're at next and – you know, just follow that journey a little bit more because I think there's going to be a lot of people that oh, ha- cool. are looking at re-entering um, the industry as dive professionals and, and, and probably mm-hmm. kind of wondering where they're going to go to next. Um, and then also there's going to be those... That would be sick, yeah. Yeah, and I think there's going to be a lot of those kids that are going to be coming through and saying, well, how the, how the hell do I get into this and what do I do? What's the opportunities? Um, and it'd be, it'd be nice to see how you get on as well with with, you know planting yourself in um in mexico and and getting on board with the the guys at the dive shop yeah um so you're officially my accountability buddy now as they say my my, my what my accountability buddy what the hell is that holding me accountable to all the things someone who holds you accountable like if you start a new diet like you have an accountability buddy it's like all right cool steve said he's gonna work on being a full cave instructor we're gonna check in with you in six months you better be on the road hell yeah man (laughs) (laughs) okay i am your accountability accountability bill accountability buddy all right i've never heard of that one before but i'll take it you are now you know responsible of taking yourself forward (laughs) (laughs) good on you mate steve it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you buddy and thank you for coming on the show i wish you all the best for the future and um the diving down in uh in tulum and we'll catch up uh in the not too distant future
I'll be here. Goodbye, everybody. Scuba Go Go Under the Sea, the podcast for the inquisitive diver.